Hi, everybody, and welcome to Completely Beatles. I'm Ian Boothby. And my name is David Dedrick. In case uh, this Dedrick does not work out, we have a spare Dedrick uh, off to the side for today's show. That is uh, musician, actor, uh, bon vivant. I don't know if that's a word. Uh, Jason Dedrick, welcome to the show. Thank Jason. you very much, guys. Thank you for having me here. Oh, that's great. great to have you uh, here. Uh, you've been on our other show, Sneaky Dragon, a couple of times. I have. And hopefully this will go better than that. Oh, all right. Well, fingers crossed. Yeah, that's the way it's going to be. Uh, today's show, we're going over uh, primarily the album A Hard Day's Night. Yes. But... Uh, David, uh, not content with that, <laughs> has brought along a pocket full of, full of singles. That's true. And we're uh, going to go through those first. Yeah, we'll start off with uh, the kind of the single that came out before a hard day's night. So we're going to start with that, which is uh, "I Want" or "I Want to Hold Your Hand." Mm-hmm. How come I always hesitate when I say the name of singles? You know why? Because I lose confidence that I'm remembering the name of it correctly. Really? Yeah, it's kind of weird. But this was the first single. This was kind of like a new uh, phase in the Beatles' recording career. This was the first. Uh, song recorded on four track. So they, uh, so going from the two track tape that they recorded on to before, so basically before they were recording live. Right. Uh, singing live, recording instrumentation live, and maybe overdubbing piano or some other, you know, sparse instrumentation, mm-hmm. or maybe doing uh, extra tracking, extra vocal tracks. Now they had four tracks that they could use. So they would do a basic rhythm, you know, basic rhythm track to the song or basic you know, pl- you know, all all four of them playing together. Right. And then on another track, they would record vocals. And another track, they would add extra instrumentation. And on the, th- on the fourth track, they might add even more instrumentation. So it gave them way more, way more room to uh, experiment and to add extra sounds and basically kind of increase the, the sound as well. Like, I think you'll agree, hearing I Want to Hold Your Hand, that it's way denser in sound than what we heard before. Now, would you call this a Fab Four track? I would call it a fabulously four-track, yes. yes. And was but this sure. equipment always there, and they just weren't allowed to no, use it? No, it was brand new for them. And uh, Britain always lagged behind what was happening in the States. Mm-hmm. So in the States, they probably had four-track forever. And in fact, when the Beatles broke in the States with um, with I Want to Hold Your Hand, they the, one of the major complaints about them was the fact that you know people were just mad that this British act were suddenly filling this, the, the charts with their hit songs. You know, musicians were upset at the quality of the production because they didn't think it was that great. And they're right. It wasn't that great. Compared to what they could do in the States, British recording techniques were kind of primitive. And that was just a, uh, a reality of British, um, I guess this, this, I guess their, their, their desire just to muddle through. You know, that kind of good enough <laughs> sense yeah. of Britishness, you know? Like, okay, we only have two tracks, but it's good enough. Like, you know, we don't want to get, we don't want to complain and make a fuss. Why would you need more? Yeah. Now, this was their big breakthrough song in, in, in the States. This is how America was introduced to the Beatles, you That's saying? right. This this song, like, when um, Brian Epstein basically told the Beatles, you have to write a song for the States. We need a song that will this kill. This is such an American song, it's ridiculous. Okay. Looking just at the at the lyrics of this, this is what I do, Jason. I look at the lyrics, <laughs> and then David goes, that's not what's real. <laughs> Uh, but I love that the first thing is like, oh, yeah, I'll tell you something. Like, it's the first thing is like, oh, yeah, I'll tell you something. Wait, who was asking you? And like, yeah. now we're in. Yeah. And it's the most basic earwormy song they've, they've mm-hmm. produced so far. And they've had some earwormy songs. Yeah. It's just, it's simple. It's like, I want to hold your hand. Listen, and, and, and that's it. Like, well, there's nothing for mom and dad to be offended about. Everyone can enjoy this. I just want to hold your hand. Right. That's all I'm doing. They're doing all their tricks. They're just pumping that chorus. Mm-hmm. They're just getting it in, and they're getting done, and then they're out. Like, this is just the most 
concentrate. This is Beatles concentrate yeah. here. Yeah. There's no messing around. You couldn't take one verse out and have it work. This is uh, it would Jenga fall. This is it. <laughs> it's just as you say. It's this is a dense. Yeah. Proper boom. Everything's it's, there. It's packed. Hello, with- America. How are you? This is your tight five on Carson. Boom. Yeah, it's just packed with novelty. And I like something that uh, the writer Ian McDonald said about it was, besides the control room exploding, it's hard to think what else they could have added to the song. Because <laughs> there's just so many things happening, not just lyrically, but musically. Like, there's so many extra things that they brought into it. And it was like the first song that they were able to write during a break. Like, they had some holiday time, mm-hmm. and they wrote the song. Almost every song, like on With the Beatles, was written on the run, was written on the road, after a gig, right. you know, on the bu- on the tour bus. You know, they're just finding time here and there to, to write. And so they, they just had some time, and they actually wrote this in um, Jane, Jane Asher, who was at that time Paul McCartney's girlfriend, his longtime girlfriend. Like, they were uh, an item for quite a while. I think he even wrote Golden Slumbers for Abbey Road in, in her parents' attic. And he was actually, he lived in their home. And they were kind of an erudite family, um, an educated family, which is something that he didn't had, ne- had never experienced before. And so he was suddenly living in this home in London with a family that was very educated, that had a lot of books and had a lot of education. And it kind of opened his eyes to a new world. But uh, and what's interesting about Jane Asher is it's one of those kind of small world things, is that his mum taught piano to George Martin when he was when he was younger. Mm, so wow. but he so it's kind of and he didn't introduce Jane Astor to he, he just she was an actress that Paul McCartney met and they became an item. The other way I like looking at this song, I'm gonna uh, direct this to Jason because mm-hmm. uh, I want him to think we're paying attention. Hey Jason, how's it going? <laughs> the what the way that I kind of look at this song is it's actually the, you could you could look at it not talking to a girl but talking to America. It's just like, right. hey, I yeah. want to hold your hand. I just want to be part of your life. Hey, listen, I'm gonna uh, we're you know uh, this is me. You know, uh, I, and I love you, America. And yeah. they have. They love the American could, music. That could be an unconscious part of, of the writing, for yeah. sure. Yeah. And uh, Don't be threatened. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's very... I'm a, I'm a safe... I'm a good boy. I'm not going to mess you up. Uh, you know, and it's yeah. uh, it's it's perfect for, like, you know, I, I love you, USA. Yeah. And, and America went, we love you, too. And uh, that love affair continued for many years. That love affair continued. I think they had two... They had... Uh, Shortly after um, I Want to Hold Your Hand was released, they had two albums in the top ten. Like, two albums, one and two, right. in the top ten. And they had five singles in the top ten. Crazy. In, a, in the United States. Like, I mean, it was just such a huge explosion after this song. Well, as yeah. a, like I'll, I'll mention this as when we get to A Hard Day's Night, the album. But uh, there's many songs in A Hard Day's Night that negate this song completely. That are the <laughs> anti-this. Okay. Yes. Okay. The, well, this pro holding the hand thing, ooh, that gets slapped down. And many a song. I think this song too, and maybe Dave can back me up on this because I'm not sure. I don't want to be mi- Johnny misquote. Yeah, <laughs> but <laughs> but I think or miss Johnny quote. I uh, <laughs> mm, or Johnny cakes. <laughs> I think this song, uh, if I read it correctly, and I'm sorry if I didn't, uh, alarmed and fascinated a lot of American artists. Yeah, this is what I read because the many American artists were more technically savvy. Yeah. than the Beatles. Oh, for sure. And so the, the Beatles came up with this sound, and it was almost. Um, freedom mm-hmm. to American entertainers, uh, Bob Dylan and people like that that listened to this and were just like blown away by its, oops, sorry, its simplicity and yet it's not its simplicity, but that there was this, yeah. this, this freedom in it that, that they weren't able to do. It's incredibly sophisticated. They got, they got song. crazy chords, right? Yeah, yeah. it's got crazy chords. It has no, it has no sustained melody. Right. The song has no melody. Like if you try and like hum it as a melody, it's really not, there's not much of a melody. And there. yet it's very pure mm-hmm. and complete. Yeah. It, it's just, it's just carried, 
it's basically it's kind of a simple song carried by the incredible excitement that it contains. Mm-hmm. You know, so it has all these little tip we talked about before with Lennon and McCartney writing together eyeball to eyeball, which is what John Lennon described them doing. It's just like sitting one on one, eyeball to eyeball, writing looking at each other and tossing back ideas back and forth is that you created this incredible situation of novelty because both of them were trying to up one up the other. Right. Because you had these two people who were competitive, incredibly competitive. Right. You know, not only with songwriters around them, but with each other, you know, both coming from two different ways of thinking about music and bringing those two forms together into, you know, so you have this one person who's very musical and you have the other one who's very, um, a more, I can't think of the word I'd want to use, but he's more down to earth in what he, you know, and more real, more about the reality, the feeling of the song, not about the structure and things like that. Like John Lennon could care less about melody and harmony and all that stuff. He liked that. But what he was into was how it felt. Right. Just sort of the nowness, just the immediate. And so you had, yeah, these guys who were, would take their guitars or their pianos and they would just look for accidental shapes in the, and just try and find new different chords and stuff. And when they hit it, you know, when, when Paul was playing and there's a part in the song where it descends from, from the G to the sort of unstable B minor. And when he hit that, John Lennon said, that's the note. That's, and he said, that made the song. That one little part where it has this little sudden descent, you know, and that kind of, and it's, it's so weird and sort of, and it wouldn't occur to someone to do, but it's just because, cause you know, when, when American writers were writing, they were writing from this, you know, sense of, yeah, like you say, technical know-how. Mm-hmm. Sort of like, okay, you write like this and you follow these particular chord progressions and that goes one, two, you know, chords, one, two, three. And then maybe you add four and you have your, you have your dominant chord, you have your root chord and you build on those and da, 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 da. Mm-hmm. Beatles did not follow that at all. Yeah. They're just like, whatever, whatever sounds cool in this part, you know? Well, they embrace their mistakes. And that was it, the thing. Like, I mean, the whole. Well, they're not mistakes, but they embrace no, but, their but accidents. They, but they, they embrace accidents. Well, accidents, yeah. mistakes, yeah. however you want to put it. Uh, I mean, the actual, we're going to get to this a little later, but the actual title of A Hard Day's Night is uh, Ringo uh, Malpropism. And they went, yes, you know, that's the nice thing, is they had the ear for, oh, that was wrong, but it's a great wrong, let's make it right, and yeah. putting it in. And that's how you come up with the new stuff. Yeah. And so, once again, they recognize, and then also, they did the thing that they they like to do, which was build on past successes. So, they really like how Hold Me Tight started, which, you know, came, open the song it disguises its key by opening the song somewhere near the end of the middle eight well i want to hold your hand does exactly the same thing as what hold me tight did so they took what worked and hold me tight and opened i want to hold your hand with that same you know just starting with the you know that incredible you know guitar dun 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 you know oh yeah this is so great and also it comes in a little bit before the 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 main beat right with the oh yeah ah the i is the actual beat of the where the song but it it starts a little earlier than that so it gives you this push to that part of the song and just creates that extra bit of excitement you know and yeah the american musicians when they heard this you know before the beatles were spending their time sitting beside record players trying to learn songs that they heard whether it was uh, smoking robinson or money and you know they would be sitting and learning these songs buddy holly who they loved and now american musicians were sitting beside their dance set uh, record players listening to what the Beatles did because it was so weird. The what, why Dylan found the song fascinating mm-hmm. was because the, the line, I can't hide, he thought they were saying, I get high. Oh. And so he thought it was a, a little drug reference in the song, but right. wasn't. The Beatles Once were still again, mishearing of... things is uh, sometimes <laughs> the best and hitting mistakes, yeah, is sometimes the yeah. best. And then, oh, I was going to add one more thing, which is that the song, it, the end of the song really gets intense because it changes its, um, the key signature, the time signature, and it goes into this, that weird three-eighths time signature, so you get that dun, 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 and it's just great, great song. Wow. 
All right. I guess we all agree. <laughs> I like this format. Yeah, we like the I song. I didn't know how this was going to go well, out. This is how it goes. Uh, and then we realize at some point this is supposed to be only an hour show and then like really boot it through the last couple of songs. That's right. But this is an important one. This is the, like I say, this is the introduction to America. Yeah. This is where changer. the flip happens. Yeah. Yeah. This is where the influence becomes the influencer. The hunter becomes the hunted. <laughs> yeah. And it was still, it was still released a little later. It was released the 29th of November in UK. And I believe the 24th of December, 23rd or 24th of December in the States. So it kind of missed the ho- the Christmas rush. Like it was a Christmas single in the UK. I mean, that yeah. was the Christmas hit. But it, it was kind of fell on the other side of it. Is this 63 or is it 60? 60... It was a 64. It would have been 63. Yeah. Okay, so this yeah. is before they've done the Ed Sullivan show. This, um, this leads yeah, up that's right, towards yeah. Ed Sullivan, I think, right? I think okay. right, yeah. Because that song was all, it was being played in all the radios. Like if you ever see that uh, Males Brothers film, um, The Beatles Come to America, I think it's called, which they mm-hmm. document the Beatles coming to um, Idlewild Airport, I guess it would have been, <laughs> yeah. and being in New York and talking to Murray the K, classic scene where John Lennon calls him a wanker on air. Right. And Murray the K goes, yeah, I'm a wanker. Yeah. That's right. I'm a wanker, everybody. <laughs> Murray the K. And he starts calling himself the fifth Beatle and all that stuff. And, <laughs> and it, But it has the whole tour of them doing the Ed Sullivan show in New York and also going down to Florida where they did the Ed Sullivan show. And so it has all kinds of, uh, yeah, great. Uh, it's, a good, it's a good film if people have not seen it. But so let's turn that let's turn the single over. Yes, okay. please. And let's, let's talk this about over. this boy. Dun, 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 dun. Nice little doo wop song. Right. John Lennon. Not to be confused with the song Boys. Not to be confused with the song Boy. This is a particular boy, this boy. Yeah, because the song Boys was Ah, boys are great. How about boys? They're yeah. fantastic. That was another song. And uh yeah. What what's nice about this song is the you know, your your first song is uh I wanna love you. Oh man, I wanna love you. All I wanna do is hold your hand. That's all I wanna do. I love you and uh, this is these are my qualities. Yeah. This is my e harmony profile as it was <laughs> at the time. Yeah. And then the flip side is uh but but baby, I'm lonely and uh if you give me a chance uh, you know, I'll, I'll love you. Yeah. And so it's great. It's not the cocky, uh, you know, it's not the guy mm-hmm. talking about who he wants to have sex with. It's not, uh, it's the, Hey, please, baby, please. And it's like, that's great. That's what you want. Yeah. You want that flip side. And then the girls are like, Oh, I'll help you. I'll, uh, yeah, no, uh, it's, it's perfect. Well, it's interesting. This is a flip side to, I want to hold your hand because in a way they're both kind of mood pieces. And I don't, I want to hold your hand. The lyrics are almost meaningless. Like, I personally think I want to hold your hand grew out of them saying, I want to be your man while they were working on the musical part of it. So this like, I want, you know, I, you know, I want to be your man. I want to be your, and then they started thinking, okay, what can you change this to? What works yeah. in this, in this part of the song? And so at this time, the Beatles really didn't care about the, and I hate to tell you that because I know you like the lyrics and to look at them because even Lennon admitted that there was, he said there was nothing in the lyrics. It was just about the sound and the harmony Once of the Once again, song. though, as we've established, it's the mistakes that make the act. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's right. the screw ups that, you know, uh, George Lucas had no idea that, you know, uh, Darth Vader was Luke's father in the first film. You know, you just make it up later and then it all makes sense and how could it not have been? But yeah, it's a, uh, I want to be your man is a, you know, which of course, you know, they've already mm. done that. Mm. Uh, uh, but uh, it, that's a much more aggressive thing than I want to hold your hand. Yeah. No, I'm just saying it was just filler lyrics. For no, them. I understand. Like, so they're not, they weren't transporting the feeling or the idea of I, of I want to be your man. But I think sometimes by not overthinking it, you get it exactly right. Mm-hmm. If they had overthought it, maybe yeah, it would have worked as that's well. that's possibly true. I mean, and maybe later on in their career, we'll see examples of overthinking. Um, I don't know if there's not like a whole ton to say about the song. I mean, it's, it's nobody's favorite. It's obviously like, oh, I, I love this song. Is it your favorite? It's your favorite. It's not my favorite, but I just, I do love this song. Okay, like, but really, it's, yeah. It's not as, there's another doo-wop song by them. I'll talk about it in a little bit that I think is better than this one, but you know, it follows, it has all the doo-wop 
things. And they, they said they learned to sing three-part harmony, the three of them, uh, singing the teddy bears to know him is to love him. Okay. That was kind of the song they loved and they would right. sing together and, and harmonize to. And that kind of taught them, because the Beatles, uh, there's very few songs where you can listen to the Beatles singing harmony and think, oh, what a dull harmony part they figured <laughs> out for that song. You know, usually you're just like, oh, I can't believe that. You know, what is Paul doing up there? You know, and it's just, but it works so well, you know, and yeah, they had a really intuitive sense. And obviously just from singing together for so long, they could really meld their voices. And I mean, no offense to the song. I'm just saying, if you put together your top 10 Beatles songs, that would not be on it. If you put together your top 20 Beatles songs, probably not on it. Put together your top 30 Beatles songs. Maybe, Maybe we might see it near the end. But hey, that's all I'm saying. Say top, They've got a lot of great songs. But if is you what say I'm top saying. thirty Beatles songs, this was a B side thrown away. It wasn't an album track. Well, it's not it thrown away. A, no yes. one's going to throw away the B side of their album. They B- cut their album in half, throw it away. I don't a have B-side. room for that. Half an album. A B side. Well, was, how much room do you have in your record shelf? Yeah. A B side was considered. A B side was considered junk. You know, you just kind of. It was junk to, but it's yeah. not junk to the the. I'm going to say girls who who bought it. They're going to put it on because they want they're, more Beatles. They're play it, but you know. It's, it's the methadone to your heroin, yeah. but you're still gonna, it was, you're gonna try it. It was it wasn't making them a lot of money. This is filler. This, boy, this is filler for them. You think yeah. this is filler? I don't think I think it's fantastic. But, filler, there's, but, but there's other songs that are definitely more filler than than this boy would be. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I still think it's uh, you know a real achievement. Yeah, I mean, when they're rushed to to fill to make product, you get more filler for sure. I guess I never understood that because I used to have a whole bunch of forty fives and we listen to both sides equally yeah. because you know. But you, for terms of radio play, oh, I see. You're you wouldn't. Radio play? You wouldn't Fair. put like yeah. Phil Spector when Phil Spector made singles. Mm-hmm. The side, the B side was usually he would just get the session musicians to play like some horrible jazz thing. He just make just play some garbage, right? And he would just give it some title because he didn't want the the track to get split up, so that would that would lower your 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 standing in the in the on the charts, right? If your single was getting played, both sides were getting played. Instead of being number one, you might be number ten because. That one song was drawing away listens from from the, well, the A point, side. Why not make the B side an ad for Coca Cola? You know, why can't you just do that and then like have Coke? They're not cheap whores, Ian. <laughs> not <laughs> yet. People are musicians. <laughs> All right. All right. So let's. Uh, Isn't move there on. an album called Beatles for Sale? Yeah, and I think it's ironic. Oh well, we'll see when we get to it. <laughs> so um, <laughs> when. Uh, so obviously, it's a super busy time. The Beatles. Yeah, and and in our podcast, Dave. Yeah, as well. So we should keep going. So the Beatles record. <laughs> the Beatles uh, had to fly to to the states. They were there, I think, for two weeks, uh, touring to support "I Want to Hold Your Hand." This mm-hmm. is before the Ed Sullivan show. This is uh, sorry. Is this before the Ed Sullivan yeah, show? Yeah, yeah. Really? They might have done the show at that time, actually. Yeah, maybe it's that trip. Because I think what how it worked was they had to go to Paris. Yeah, they go to Paris. They did to Paris. They did a nineteenth nineteen day. Uh, residency at the Paris Olympia. Right. And the, pa- the French don't get them, right? The French did not get them. Yeah. They were, they just didn't like them. They were put down. They yeah. were made fun of. And, uh, what but th- did the French like at that time? Did they like any rock and roll? Serge Gainsbourg, I guess. I don't know. I don't but know. were they rock? Were they rock fans? <laughs> I don't think they like rock very much. Well, then no. that's your problem. You yeah. don't like rock and roll. You're not going to like this. They're like Edith Piaf. Edith Piaf. Yeah. And, uh, other people, other singers and like the that. Pips. I can't think of any other singers <laughs> off the top of my head. But, um, so, but they had this 19-day residency. So they had a piano brought into their hotel room, and the, they were at the Georges Sank, or however, I think that's the name of the hotel, or mm. Louis Sank, whatever the hotel was called. And they they um, brought, had a piano brought in, and so they worked on material for A Hard Day's Night. So they were writing songs and working on material because they had this movie coming up. Right. After the residency was, oh, and while they were there, they had to record, this is kind of crazy, I did not get you to listen to these songs because it would be a waste of your money. But it's sort of interesting. There's two German versions 
two German songs that the, the, the Beatles sang, or two songs the Beatles sang in German. Mm-hmm. One is Komm gibt mir deine Hand, or eine Hand, deine Hand? Deine. Deine Hand, yeah. And the other one is Sie liebt dich. Okay, now, the Komm gibt mir deine Hand, that's not, I want to hold, your, hold hand. your hand yeah. in Germany? Yeah. In so German? What happened was the German and label, in Germany. And in Germany. <laughs> the German label Odeon demanded that George Martin record the Beatles in German so that the songs would sell in Germany, because they just weren't selling. You will we can't sell. You know, we have tried to sell these so many times and no one wants them because they're all in English. No one wants them. And the Beatles were kind of like, I don't want to do it. And apparently there's some story of when they went there and they, 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 George Martin came over with Norman Smith, the, the tape operator. They came there. They got a translator to translate the songs and, uh, they get, they hired, uh, they, EMI France. They, they got the studio. Right. And then the morning comes and the Beatles don't show up. And like George Martin phones the hotel, it's like, what are they doing? They don't feel like coming in. They're not going to come in. What do you mean they're not coming in? So he drove to the hotel, came storming into the suite, and apparently Jane Ash was there. She was just pouring tea at the time. As soon as he walked in the door, the Beatles were all sitting on this table. They all hopped in the air and went and hid behind <laughs> curtains and behind the couch and stuff like that. Wow. He dragged them down to the studio. Sounds like a movie. Yeah. Sounds like they <laughs> now, were. Wait, now, did, did the, was there other uh, rock bands that would do German translation? I have never heard of it. Like, yeah, I never heard of it. Yeah, so what to a me it thing. sounds like a, a weird. Yeah, this reminds me of like a Python doing all their German episodes. Yeah, and, well, that's German kind episodes. of the same yeah. thing. Yeah, so Germany were really, really kind of demanding. What a demanding country they yeah, are! Yeah, why don't you do it all in German? We yeah. don't. Who speak, would have thought that the Germans would be de- remotely demanding? Be so yeah. over demanding, guys. <laughs> yeah, you know, that's we cut you a bit of slack on something once, so, so why don't we all just listen to our nice music? You must, for the uh, label you're working for, Führer, you must uh, <laughs> record some more songs in German. So they did these two songs in German. And the one they just did to the backing track, uh, give, I want to hold your hand. They had the backing track for, but for some reason, and I can't understand why, after the set, after she, I want to hold your hand, or she loves you was mixed, the tracks were scrapped. I don't know if they were just bulk erased, which might have been an early practice set, you know, and when yeah. the Beatles started to come on, they're like, why are we doing this? We better save all this material. <laughs> but they, that was scrapped. And so they had to re-record the backing track for she loves you as the, for the Liebdich, the, uh, the, the, uh, German version of it. And so while they were there, they had an extra hour. They recorded Can't Buy Me Love. That was the first song recorded for, um, for A Hard Day's Night. So they recorded Can't Buy Me Love. Then they f- flew to America for two weeks, then went back to England, and the next day started filming Hard Day's Night. Wow. So, crazy. You, you know, the al- I'm just saying, the album was recorded under real pressure. So there are a few songs that were just kind of like off the cuff, let's get it done and get it out. But it's still great. Like when you listen to the songs, you're just like, you can't believe that. Like, that is oh, yeah. amazing. But like, how old were they at the time? Like, generally? I think George was turned, just turned 21 while they're recording Hard Day's Night. So are they all generally 21? They're around the, George was the youngest. So Ringo was the oldest. They would have all been in that kind of ballpark. Yeah. They got 24 that to 21. 24 I mean, if 21. you've got that and you're sort of setting the world on fire, yeah. you can do anything. And sure. also, as you said, there was some help uh, <laughs> in the form of. I don't know how much they're doing of that at that point. Oh, really? Uh, after Hamburg, but they may have been. Oh, okay. Because Brian Epstein certainly was. Fair enough. There you go. Okay. And it's funny too that they would already have that big Hamburg career. So, well, the Germans didn't mind the English. Yeah, then. that's right. Yeah, they managed to be able but to. They're playing along. to. A, they're playing to sort of an international audience of sailors and. Oh, uh, good point. Because that was a port, port city and drunks and everything sounds. Their songs for sailors and drunks. So. So then. When they made Hard Day's Night, they made it for United Artists. So in America, United Artists owned the soundtrack rights. So United Artists released the soundtrack in the States before Parlophone slash AMI were allowed to release their version of the album in, in, um, the UK. And so the, the version, the United Artists version is a little different because there were seven songs in the film. So they had seven Beatles songs. Yeah. So they took those Beatles songs and then they added four instrumental tracks. Uh, George Martin had done, 
uh, instrumental versions of um, I Should Have Known Better, uh, And I Love Her, and A Hard Day's Night as instrumental tracks for the film, and also a version of This Boy, which was given the, the name Ringo's theme. Right. And so that scene where Ringo's mooping about the uh, kicking boys into yeah. the Thames and stuff like that, <laughs> that, was all, the, that was all done uh, to, with that to This Boy. Very, very yeah. nice. Are we, are we now on to the we are, album? Oh, we're on to the album. All right. Uh, you told me to listen to some other singles, sir. So are we doing uh, those? Those come singles? after that. Those will come after Oh, this. boy. You know what? My filing system is all for <laughs> shit. Right. Start this thing I'm over. I'm sorry. If this was uh, just, an explicit uh, podcast, I would have some stern words for you, sir. All right. Back to the album, A Hard Day's Night. Can I just say uh, the film is uh, just a great film? Sure, but we're not here to talk about that. Yeah, but I'm going to say that. It is a great film. Let me just tell you one little bit of trivia on that that I did not uh, know before. The whole uh, grandfather, uh, very clean. Mm-hmm. Do you know what that's in reference to? What is it? Reference? Uh, it's a reference to the actor who played the grandfather, who oh, was okay. best known for being in Steptoe and Son. Which was about and a guy the ta- and the, uh, yeah. No, but the ta- his, uh, his line in that was always, people would always call him a dirty old man. Oh. So oh. they saw him and they did, let's just flip the opposite. He's okay. very clean. Everyone who was yeah. a fan of that went, ha, ha, ha. Had a good time. Anyway, that's the movie. For another time, let's go back to the album of the same name. <laughs> oh, no, that got- gave me enough time to put my files away uh, for later. Uh, so here we go. Fun with numbers, though, just for you you folks out there that are getting on in years. Uh, the guy that plays Paul's grandfather, the clean old man, I think is about 52. <laughs> People wow. were One old when they were young. Yes. Yeah. You know, yeah. Wilford Brimley uh, <laughs> is the same age uh, in Cocoon as Tom Cruise is currently. Let's go with that wow. for, uh, wow. for uh, weird aging things. That anyway, is, you won't get any older and you won't ever die. <laughs> You won't get any better looking, but you might get diabetes. All right. All right. Let's go. Hard day's night. Opens with the greatest chord of all time. I think we can all agree on that. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, play, you know what the chord is? It's a G. I had to look at it. Yeah. Wait. Oh, oh sorry. Oh, yeah, it's someone right. accidentially dropping the guitar on the go, ground. Go, go. You got it? G. It's you're a, a musician. It's, it's a what is G. It? It's a G 11th. Yes. Suspended fourth. Suspended fourth. There you go. I don't even know what that means. I don't know either. But it Sorry. makes that great clang yeah. just to open the album. And it's almost like a kind of a clarion call to, to the whole, to the whole thing. Like, wow, this is really going to be a big. And another example of the Beatles just doing bananas things. Just like, here, what do you think of this? And you don't do that. You can't start a song like that. Ian mentioned that it started from a Ringoism. Yep. So Ringo said, you know, it's been a hard, he's sitting on this, the set of this, the uh, film and he said, it's been a hard, it's been a hard day. Then he noticed it had, you know, it was even, it was nighttime and he saw he, he had a night to it. And so every, and the pips. everyone heard that. <laughs> and the pips. That's right. Everyone heard that, and they thought it was the most hilarious thing ever. And so it was being repeated throughout, like for weeks after. It wasn't thought of as being the film title until sometime about you know a few weeks in. They're like, you know, that would be a good title for the film. Yeah. And so when John Lennon heard that, he raced home to write the song because before he, McCartney. Before could. McCartney did, because <laughs> he was mad about "Can't Buy Me Love," which not only was like a, a song, but also been released as a single. Right. So not only had McCartney scooped him with the next single. Which they didn't do together. It was by McCartney by himself. But, you know, he was mad. So he zoomed home. Interesting. He wrote the song, got the Beatles together, they rehearsed it, and the next day they recorded it. So it was one of the fastest turnarounds for, for a Beatles song. It, uh, it actually, the content reminded me of She Loves You, uh, because in that song, you've got the Beatles singing to a guy and going, you know, things are great. You don't realize how great things are. Things are fantastic. I know it's seeing things are bad, but things are actually great and you should just love her and just smarten up. And this one starts off with a little bit of complaining, but then just goes into a whole, things are great. Yeah. You know, and what a, what a good way to start your album, which is like, things are swell. Things yeah. are great. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm working hard, but, uh, I love her. She loves me. Hey, everything's fine. Yeah. There's, uh, there's how you are. 
makes everyone happy. And uh, and just such a kick butt song. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I can say That's the right. A word on our not <laughs> explicit podcast. But I always yeah. thought it was interesting in the lyric, though, that everything's all right. Yeah. It's going to be all right. <laughs> yeah. No, nothing's great when you get home. <laughs> it's actually all right. <laughs> well, they're British. There's only so far they can go. That's right. You know, it's a war, you know. Things are fantastic. And then the second blitz hits. Yeah. And by that, I mean the Germans saying, we need all your songs in German now. That was considered the second blitz. There. And they were yeah. released on Blitz Hits. Blitz Hits. You're right. Bible. They all are. You know, you know, I'll feel all right. You know, I feel okay. You know, I feel not bad. Feel you know, I feel so-so. You know, I feel... Come see, come see. Come see, come see. Yeah. Um, what I, what's interesting, I th- what I thought was interesting to f- is that the gu- Harrison's guitar solo was doubled by George Martin on piano. Oh, okay. So it, it, I, something that immediately is obvious. So I would, you know, I was listening to this, the album. And so I listened to that part and you can kind of pick it up, but it's kind of difficult. So it's almost like what Brian Wilson would do, which was to double different instruments to get a completely new sound to a, to an instrument. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, it's quite interesting. And it was also recorded at half speed. As was the end of the song, the jangling arpeggios at the end of the song were also recorded at half speed. Oh. And I don't know if they were then put at normal speed for the, when it was, and it kind of gave it a different sort of sound, or if they just, if it was sounded really, if they played really high and then they slowed it down a little bit for the, for the record. But yeah, that's, there you go. Funky. It's very cool. And the second song on the uh, album is. I should have known better. Which continues the theme of things are great. Okay. It's your second. Things are great. You know? Yeah. I should have, I should have known better. Like I was worried. And uh, what was I thinking? Things are great. Yeah. Uh, everything's perfect. Uh, sunshine and roses. Tip top. Couldn't have been better. Everything's swell. Two of those in a row for you. Cheer up, kids. Cheer up, youth. Uh, we're not having no Roy Orbison sad songs here, buddy. Things are all right. What's interesting? Well, when they were in Paris, uh, George Harrison bought Bob Dylan's uh, Free Wheel and Bob Dylan. They'd never heard Bob Dylan before. And right. so when you listen to the uh, harmonica part on this song, mm. you can really hear that kind of huffy puffy uh, Dylan sound in it. And then it's obviously written by Lennon. It's almost written on one note, you know. I right. should have known better yes. with a girl like Dun, 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 you. So, but he... We haven't licensed any of these songs. We can't play any of these songs, <laughs> this, can we? The song was so... <laughs> he uh, he found the song so no, hilarious. <laughs> Could we? Have you got the license to it? I don't have the license. All right, fair enough. I have to... them in my pocket on my iPod. <laughs> but I don't want to get in any trouble. I understood. I guess Lennon found the song so... He, I guess he was a little embarrassed by it. Apparently... He a lot of takes were just breakdowns of him break, stopping and laughing. <laughs> Is that singing. this song because of the yeah. lyrics were such? Because the lyrics and the harmonica playing, yeah, oh. he just, it just made him laugh. <laughs> so yeah, I can and see that. That's, here's, that's fair. And here's an guy. important bit of trivia. Yeah, which was this was the first song. This was er- recorded earlier than Hard Day's Night because um, this was the first song to feature George Harrison's new guitar, his brand new uh, Rickenbacker uh, del- uh, 360 Deluxe 12 string electric guitar. Which was, he bought the second, it was only the second of the made he got. And it was a particular kind of 12 string because when you look at it, it looks like a six string because the 12 string, the other six keys are hidden behind on, on the neck, on the head of the, whatever it's called. Is that the head? It's, uh, where the, the, where the keys, the, where you tune it from? Yeah, well, the machine heads are, machine, are, yeah. are, are, are hidden. What's that part of the, what is that? Is that you got the, the, Boy, the nut, know. you got the, are neck, those the nipples? The, is that the, the nipples? Am I wrong? There's the, there's the... That's the groin. Let's just call it the groin. So they're hidden well, behind the groin. Place for a guitar's groin to be. <laughs> well, all right. So, so that so he got that guitar. Podcast, everybody. That's he, all we can say. He bought that guitar when he was in um, it was in New York, and so he just used it in almost all the songs on uh, on Hard Day's Night, and it really colors this album and and 
a few albums after. And obviously influenced band like The Birds, who saw him playing it in the movie and immediately went out and bought themselves a 12-string guitar. Everybody had Yeah, that. everyone had to have a 12-string <laughs> guitar after that, after after seeing him playing it in, in the in the movie. Thanks, George. George. And uh, the string industry went through the roof. Their well, sales doubled right. overnight. That's what gives that guitar, the chord at the beginning of A Hard Day's Night, that particular sound, is he's not just playing on, he's not playing on a 6-string, he's playing on a 12-string. You immediately know that song from, from like, the, there's chords that you just mm-hmm. go like, yeah, that, yeah. got it. Yeah. I can name that song in half a note. There, done. So here's an, another Lennon song after this one, yeah. If I Fell. Yeah. If I Fell if in I Love fell. With You. Yeah. It's a sweet song, but uh, man, that's corny. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, I, I, okay, now, now, is this a song uh, saying to a girl, uh, we, sh- that, we should have sex because the other girl ain't going to have sex with me? Like, it feels like there's another girl lined up. I don't think he's promise saying, to be true means have sex with me, but okay. <laughs> no, but he's saying, he's saying like, you know, would you love me more than her? Like, what's that mean? As a young man, I'm asking you, the lady, will you love me more than her? And what does that entail? Yeah, it's a bit of a job interview. A little bit, <laughs> yeah. It's like saying, once again, I've got this one uh, on uh, on bat. And like, uh, well, what do you offer? What can you bring to the love company uh, today? You've heard my last two songs. Uh, things are uh, going quite well with the love company. And uh, what do you got? Hmm. Well, it's possible. I mean, what I think is interesting about this song, This Boy, If I Fell, and Yes It Is, is all of them are the most romantic Beatles songs. They're written by Lennon, so kind of going against our stereotype of, you know, Paul McCartney's the doe-eyed, soppy guy who right. sings all, all, the, all the ballads. Take that, Paul McCartney. Yeah, Paul. <laughs> and and then they're also, but they're also close harmony. They're also all kind of follow like kind of a doo-wop model. This song has a bit of a doo-wop sound to it. Yes, it is certainly, and this boy for sure. So it's it's kind of, it's interesting that he, and so personally, I think that Lennon was writing these songs almost as an exercise. They're mm. not from the heart. They're written, you know, to, with a particular market and idea in mind. Now, here's the other thing that I find interesting is like, they came out with a Wanna Hold Your Hand. This is the first, uh, anti Wanna Hold Your Hand song of the album, which is, uh, uh, cause I've been in love before and I found out love was more than just holding hands. Well, I see. All right. Well, apparently that was good enough for you. I don't know, like uh, three months ago. Yeah. Uh, enough to get you that old hit signal. Three three months is a long time when you're in your early twenties. That's right. That's That's right. Again, this, this goes with my idea that maybe, uh, wants to go farther than holding hands. Mm -hmm. Uh, what can you do that's more than this girl? You can read it that way, I suppose. I don't, I don't don't think young girls listening to the time thought of, thought of it that way. No, but I think it is a nice, it was more, they were listening there going, I could be that girl. Because who could you love could, you more than that girl? Yeah, mo- could you could love do you. more than holding hands. Clearly, would this Which love you is, more? Would love you more? Yeah, it's more I, I would be truer to you than her. She's cheating on you. She's you're is going she to the malt shop. It? She's is going she... to the malt shop with that other guy. What do you mean? I would she's never do that to you. You you clearly have two girls. I would never do that <laughs> to you. You've mentioned in the song <laughs> that there's two girls that you're you not are lis- interested. You're not listening in. to me though. I am being the girl listening to the song. Uh huh. And listening to it as if it's a job interview. Right. 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 Are you the girl for me? Yes, says a girl listening at home in her record in her room. Right. She just plastered with yes, pictures yes, of the yes, Beatles on her John wall. All over her yeah. She's saying, I am, I am the one. That other girl will cry uh, when she learns that we are too. Yeah. So, cause she thinks they're in a relationship, but once she finds out we're uh, together, once she she's finds out, cry, you're a terrible person for breaking that up. You're well, a horrible person. For no, no. We know that she isn't true because he's asking this girl, uh-huh. will you be more true? He says, will you be true to me? 
Oh, I think uh, I think there's some bases that he you wants just, to go around with. Mister, look on the bad of everything. He's uh, uh, he's reading into it. It's, it's but it's I'm good. I'm reading into it. I'm let's, seeing what this. Let's song move on to the George for. Harrison. Song. It's always tough too to look at a Beatles song in hindsight because these are all. I mean, their babies are born now, just knowing Beatles songs. It's part of our. There's like a DNA yeah, thing that yeah. has the Beatles songs in yeah. and, and knowing what a guy John John Lennon was and yeah and everything. Then you look back and say he he hates everybody. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, he hates everybody. Anyway. Sorry, go on. This is the George song? This is the George song. Written for George written by for George, John Lennon. By John Lennon. And written for him specifically, I think, and because what, there's a certain sense of humor called? to it. Sorry, have we mentioned the name? Uh, it's uh, I'm Happy Just to Dance With You. Very good. And Hold Your Hand. No. Or maybe more. No, no, no. <laughs> this is a good point. Thank right. you for bringing this up, Jason. Uh, because uh, the line in there, I'm so happy when you dance with me, I don't want to kiss or hold your hand. Ah. So, again, this hand-holding business has really gone by the wayside. No, no. He doesn't... What the bleep? <laughs> You're insane. He says, I'm happy just to dance with you. Right. I don't I'm, want to I kiss. don't want to kiss or hold your hand. Right. I'm happy just to dance That's with you. That's right. Because he doesn't want to kiss or hold your hand. And uh, like uh, seconds ago, it was like, I want to hold your hand. Now we've got, uh, forget this holding the hand thing. It's two songs in a row oh. that refer to holding hands as not the thing we want to do. <laughs> not good enough. Clearly. Well, the previous one is... That's not enough holding hands. And this one is, whoa, holding hands. Hey, listen, lady, I don't want to go that fast. I am happy just to dance with you. That's uh, apparently what's going on with this guy. What I think is kind of more interesting about the song is that <laughs> Lennon, who knows <laughs> George <laughs> and knows, knows George's personality, right. is whenever George says happiness in the song, it always kind of it always goes down to a minor key at that <laughs> moment. Happy yeah, happy. This is so perfect. Right. It's like a little joke, a little Lennon joke on yeah. on. Uh, this song George's. could be called "I Love Cuddling, Baby." It's my favorite part of things. <laughs> um. It's a great song to dance to, though. I'm happy just to dance with you. That's a great song to uh, dance dance to. It seems safe. Sure. You could like cross the floor and, and ask a girl to dance and not feel uh, like you're creep. Yeah, and you're like right. hold is... and like hold me tight and I want to hold your hand. It starts with a, near the end of the middle eight. So it, once oh, again, okay, pull another trick. Pull another trick. Now, do you think that's a Beatle trick or is that a George Martin trick that is going to become a Beatle trick? You know what I mean? Is he the guy that introduced that idea? That's a good question. I don't know with hold me tight if if the Beatles brought it in that way or he he suggested it. I know, I know for certain that he suggested opening "Can't Buy Me Love" with the chorus, right? But I'm not sure what. Um, I mean, he did most of the arranging of the songs in the first two albums, so it's possible that that was a, something that he brought in to to make it a little bit more, give a bit more oomph and pop. Hold me tight. No, it didn't. It might have been. You know, I don't. It's hard to say because yeah. "Hold Me Tight" was originally supposed to be on "Please Please Me," and it was worked on extensively for that. Wasted a lot of time, and then they decided they couldn't get it together although they've been playing it live for a long time wow they shelved it and then they revived it for for with the beatles to to have another song and then they completed it for that unfortunately i don't know what it sounded like before yeah they got around so you know they may have added you know may have been through playing live they may have come up hit upon the idea of starting it differently and that gave them the in to to record it again right cool maybe so Paul, if you're listening, call in. We want to know this story. <laughs> know story. <laughs> the lines are open now. It's 1-800-555. Speaking of Paul, let's go to the one of the few Paul, L- Paul songs on this album, which Paul is... Paul is under... Yes, go on. Let's cast a Paul on this album. Uh, and I love her. Right. This is the... There's always at least one song and album that's the, hey, ladies, it's time to melt. Yeah. Let's just... Let's just... <laughs> one, of, all. one of their most covered songs. Yeah. Oh, it is. It's a melter. Is I mean, it really? There's, there's mm-hmm. a bit that's like, to me, that's... Uh, it's too swoon moon june 
like bright are the stars that shine, dark is the sky. I know this love of mine will never die. There's a bit of me that cannot roll my eyes hard enough at that, <laughs> but that's the kind of thing we're doing here. So yeah. you know, we all came to this dance, right? It, we know what we're doing. Is this the one with the moon June rhyme in it? This is the one that he's actually embarrassed about, isn't it? No, this there's no moon June in this. <laughs> he he just... was. Um, I don't know if he was. Is it this song? He was. No, he was embarrassed about this one. Okay, he was embarrassed by um the other song, his other kind of major song on the album, which was um. I can't think of the name of it now. Because yeah, I'm dumb. No, we'll get to it, I guess. Then. All right. I mean, it's not an embarrassing uh, things song. We said, things we said today. Yeah. Okay. This that song, one he was a bit embarrassed This song gets to where it needs to go. It takes the girls there. It uh, buys them a corsage. It gives them a ha and then they're a puddle on the ground. What are they going to do? They're helpless. What are you going to do? There, take it. There, it's done. <laughs> where what? on the album is it? Still on the first side? Are we still on the first side this of the album? This is still on the first side. This was in the movie. Yeah. The first side on the... If you, if, whether you have, well, if you have the, if we're talking about the English version of the album. Of course. The first seven songs were all included in the film. Right. So, um, this was definitely in the movie. Was it performed on the train? In is the baggage before, compartment? In the baggage compartment. Is this one they did? Or is that I'm Happy to Sit Dance with You? Gosh, I haven't. Did Judges, you watch it recently? I watched it recently, but I could not no, tell I could you not that. tell us. I just well, realized like most of these Melter songs seem to be Paul. This, you just picture Paul with the big eyes yeah. and the microphone and the pleading look and the, oh. Um. <sighs> But like we said before, I mean, the the ones with the most romantic content have been Lennon ones, so it's, mm-hmm. it's interesting. But uh, this actually, when they first started doing this song, they did it as full electric. They had like the, all the electric guitars out, no acoustic. Oh. That's how they were first doing it. And then they kind of worked on it for the evening, and then they said, well, let's look at it, you know, fresh. And so the next day they came in, and they, I guess they switched around and decided to try it as an acoustic number, and that kind of opened it up for them. Hmm. And Yes. Is that written about Jane Asher? Most likely. Okay. I think John or Paul was very smitten with her at this time. And it's basically why he only has three th- three three full songs on the that are his own compositions on the album is that he was very much, you know, tagging after her as a puppy dog. Right. And uh so John took advantage of that to uh <laughs> take over the album. Take over the album. I think he wrote like four fifths of the album as as John Lennon had a hand in. Wow. So, okay, let's move on to uh, Tell Me Why, which is another great song, I think. Yeah, it's the second time we're referring to someone else crying in this. But Interesting. Considered okay. considered by the Beatles is just filler for the for the soundtrack. Oh, yeah, it's fair. It's fair. But, it's you know, fair. it's a Beatles, so it's like wonderful filler. Yeah, no, it's, it's great filler. Uh, just got, just on my crying jag for a second. In previous albums, uh, we were, uh, we've were we been discussing how I felt it had a bit of a Roy Orbison feel. Because I, every time I hear the word cry, and I right. think, I think Roy Orbison, the oh. king of cry. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh. And, okay, uh, Dave seems to be saying that I'm a very handsome man, or that I should get closer to the microphone. <laughs> One of the two. Uh, but uh, in the song, If I Fell in Love With You, that we had that, uh, and she will cry when she learns we are two. That's a different person crying. Previous uh, albums have had them crying. A lot of them crying over the ladies. And in this one, tell me why you cried and why you lied to me. We got someone else crying. Hmm, and They're, lying. And lying. Because, you know, when you have cry, you've got to go lie. Mm-hmm. Or why? What else are you going to do? My no, you can't end up. We can't end up a line like that. We have an awful song. Yeah, we also have like right after that. Well, I gave you everything I had, and uh, that's that feels to me a bit. Uh, money can't buy me loveish to me. Mm. I'll give you all I've got to give. Money can't buy me love. You're giving it all. That's what they do. These guys, they give it all, and what happens? They get people crying in return. I wouldn't doubt it. I mean, uh, they were writing all these songs about the same time to you know within each other's vicinity, even if they weren't writing them together. 
you know, so I'm sure the songs influence them. And, and oh, absolutely. There's also, a lot of crossover. There's also, a lot of crossover. also, they're repeating popular songwriting tropes, just things that people were u- commonly using. You oh, know. we'll get to that later on, sir. <laughs> I have something on that. Think, <laughs> things people, you know, the commonly repeating motifs that were used in songs that they were just borrowing from older songs and, and kind of shoehorning into their own songs. So, I mean, it's going to have that element to it as well. To me, what's always more exciting about a Beatles song is how it sounds than what, than what it says. Yeah. Um, that's the most exciting part in this song like that with its, you know, tell me why. It's great. Okay, well, let's move on to the final song of the first side. So the final song that was included in the film, which is uh, Can't Buy Me Love, which is a pretty okay. great song, considering it was recorded in four takes. In Paris. In Paris, after they had recorded <laughs> some songs in German, they just squished this in. And it was even different when they started it. They started as kind of a bluesy, rolling kind of song, almost like She's a Woman. That's how it first their first takes were kind of like that. Right. And it had this kind of uh, call and response thing where they're kind of like, ooh, satisfied, you know, kind of stuff like that going on in it. And then probably George Martin said, you know what? Let's strip away that stuff. Let's pep it up a little bit because this is a single, boys. Let's make it into a single. That's right. You're buying a diamond ring, my friend, if it makes you feel all right. First thing you got to buy is a mockingbird. That is the first <laughs> thing you do. Now, if that mockingbird don't sing, mm-hmm. then. That's right. And only then. You buy a diamond ring, uh-huh. right? Which may seem like a big jump, but trust me. Yeah, that's not. right. Did that bird <laughs> work out? How with this diamond ring? Uh, just on the whole, what I thought, though, of the song, because the whole song is Money Can't Buy Me Love. It felt like, uh, I mean, the last Beatles album that we had ended with the song Money. It was like, that's what I want. That's all I want. I want money, which is, of course, a cover. But this felt like the anti-money. Like, if you played both of those songs back to back, it's an opposite point of view. Like, mm-hmm. wait, nope, wrong. Money can't do any of that. Love is what it's all about. Yeah. Yeah. And also a terrible Patrick Dempsey movie, I believe, in the 80s, this uh, <laughs> yes. the song inspired. That's the only bad yeah. thing I can say about it, is that movie came out of it. And but and uh, and what's her name is in that, right? That's the one with, uh, from uh, Labyrinth and... Uh, Jennifer, Jennifer Connelly. Jennifer Connelly, I think, is can't buy me a lot. No, it's not. It's a little blonde girl. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. Thanks for the inaccurate. That's right. Uh, Sorry about that. It really didn't matter. A little blonde girl. <laughs> at all. Well, this song is... Interesting for a few ways to me. One is that this was like the family-friendly song on this album. Right. Sure. This was a song that even like parents could enjoy. And in fact, Ella Fitzgerald co- covered this song shortly after it was uh, released by the Beatles. So just to show you uh, how generally, how cross-generational it was, it was covered by Ella Fitzgerald. Wow. Well, the Beatles had their safe songs. Again, the I Want to Hold Your Hand. What's safer than that? But Not actually, that. that surprises me because when I hear this song, I think of it as a really rocking song, like a kind of a fast beat, up, up-tempo song that parents would be crappy about not kind of snapping their fingers to and saying hey hip song kids i like that but the whole thing is i want to hold your hand like again you do not hear lyrics and it has that but but well but it does have that thing with my friend which is really different they actually used it before they used it in um uh i'll get you which was a b-side to she loves you they meant they use my friend as a kind of a strange non-gender specific (laughs) you know tag in the song and they so they kind of revive it in this song but it's really kind of strangely modern in that way, you know, and it's kind of the Beatles were kind of a strange like I like you were saying before, accidents or, or mistakes, mm-hmm. you know, how much chance, you know, skill and chance push them along. You know what I mean? Like just mm-hmm. something like this where it seemed so forward thinking when they probably weren't thinking about it at all. But when it comes out, you're like, wow, that's really pushing the envelope. That's really pushing ahead with songwriting and, how, you know, and how you how people are going to be writing lyrics and like 
less than a year. This is going to be so different because of this song. Right. You know, and it probably didn't mean it at all. They just rhymed with something in the song, and so they used it, you know. Like, when uh, when I hear, like, you know, uh, you know McCartney and uh, Lennon were on the outs later. And, like, if you had that face-to-face writing technique, yeah. and you're writing love songs to each other, like, directly at each other's faces yeah. constantly, mm-hmm. you, I mean, I'm not saying there was anything going on between the two of them, but I'm saying you're writing love songs to each other, eventually you're going to break up when you with, break up. With each other. Yeah, but, but to each other. Different. as well and as a competition as a back and forth mm-hmm. and, you know you're not just completely jamming but you know i mean a relationship is a back and forth as well uh when you've had enough of that i could see how that would be a real push off like that you really do well, want to go into your own it's world. true and and um the i mean okay when you think of the beatles i mean the, there are two different personalities in the beatles like i mean i know george was there and ringo was there but there's two dominant personalities to the beatles there's mm-hmm. paul mccartney and, and john lennon they're both very different almost anti each other right you know they're two sides of the of a coin but what that what that um gave to them was that it gave the beatles this kind of weird uh i don't know if you call it a dichotomy where they could be comfortable where you could listen to them and you could feel like i'm listening to something i'm familiar with this, this is very comforting but at the same time it could also be very excitingly strange and different sounding too so you had this weird mix because of these two people writing together and actually what's interesting is this song was kind of the nail in the coffin of their of their writing together mm-hmm. they did not write like i wonder when i will eyeball anymore or not that often after this song they still wrote together but they did not sit in a room and write together they would collaborate in the sense that one would get a verse and chorus that they couldn't quite get it together to figure out a middle eight that worked right. and they would give it to the other one and that person would contribute uh, a middle eight or a solo or something that would kind of give the song a little kick that would improve it you know and those are the best songs still by the, you know, when they're writing by themselves, they're never as good as when they're writing together and, and have a certain amount of collaboration in the, in the music. And that's because well, McCartney wrote this one on his own. On his own, yeah. Right. Yeah. And then prompted, as you say, Lennon to run off and say, I gotta get to Yeah, I gotta, yeah. he was like, yeah. <laughs> and I mean, after this song, um, Lennon wrote, you can't do that. Almost, oh. <laughs> almost a response to Len or McCartney writing this this hit song that yeah. took off, you know. Well, I mean, it's a nice. Uh, this, uh, those are two great motivators. Because it's One it's their first single that's yeah. not a collaboration. Spite, between them. spite is a great motivator. Mm-hmm. Like it's a great start. You can't run the car on that fuel for too long, but yeah. boy, it'll get you a couple of good numbers out of it. <laughs> like when you say that Lennon and McCartney were uh, opposites, I always felt like, you know, uh, the Lennon was the hard outer shell and then the soft gooey center, and uh, Paul was the gooey outer shell, but he got inside, he's the hard center. Yeah. You know, that's, that's yeah. I mean, that's overly simplistic, yeah, obviously. Paul was a but... very ambitious uh, cutthroat person. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You don't get real... to be Paul McCartney without being a good businessman. Yeah. yeah. If he's really the, oh, I don't care, you know, then <laughs> what you're going to get is he's just going to roll over and let John take over. Yeah. And, you know, no, yeah. whatever no, you no. want to do, buddy. Exactly and it's, right. No, it's just as, ah, exactly back at, right. you know. And Lennon, who had suffered a lot of personal tragedies in his life, you know, hid, hid those, um, hid that soft center in, outside a very brittle, Exterior, very right. sarcastic, ironic Let's exterior. Lash out before anybody yeah. get at right. you, sort of a thing. And yeah. Paul was, yeah, Paul was the kind of person who would greet you and be very happy to see you, but pro- probably would forget you a minute after he met you. Mm-hmm. Whereas Lennon, if you got in, if you got got in with Lennon, if you became Lennon's friend or somehow became part of someone he liked, he, he probably never forgot that. You always were a friend of Lennon's after that. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? I think McCartney was a different sort of person in that way. I think you're right. I think you're right. But it's still, you know, there's still kind of opposites in that in that way and still brought. Yeah, and then I've heard it said that that's also what helped them propel along because had it been all Lennon without McCartney being able to be the PR guy, the mm-hmm. band would have failed yeah, miserably maybe so, yeah. 18 different times before they even got <laughs> the chance to fail yeah. big, you yeah, know? Yeah, yeah. 
And and yet at, at the same time, yeah, he's inside. He's a good man of business, is that Paul McCartney? <laughs> and, and you need different uh, types of people to harmonize. Those four barbershop shop quartet yeah, members, they, they, they don't all, be all the sing same. the same, yeah. but put them together, brother, and they're okay. That's <laughs> <laughs> No slamming on barbershop quartets. Uh, some Dedrick family members are part of that cult. Sweet Adeline. <laughs> Point not, not Jason, not Jason. About, no. Oh, I didn't know. Guys, you're turning me into a gooey center here. I can't, <laughs> I can't hear this. You're really Paul McCartney. All right, well, let's let's thing. turn to side two. All right. This now, is this a garbage could, dump like a like a B-side on oh, the... Oh, you uh, would say that until you get to the last, the song cycle for the last three songs of this of this side two. Oh, my gosh. Well, no one awesome did, I'm songs. asking, like, do people, was the second side of an album a throwaway side? It was in a way, and I... But, you know, I think when you listen to this side, you're just like, oh my God, this is like great. But I mean, you can tell how much time pressure the Beatles were under because it has, it pull. <laughs> but you know, all the kind of real Beatles albums, what we think of as real Beatles albums. I'm not talking about white album people. God. <laughs> or, you know, or Abbey Road, which is totally because that's the medley. That's right. Uh, break, those are the mold breakers. But what I'm talking about is most of the early albums are 14 songs, the British versions, 14 songs, but Hard Day's Night, 13. Because they probably ran out of songs and they're like, we're running out of time. At get least it song, at least in the end of get uh, halfway through a song. That's right. Put their instruments down. <laughs> if I fell George in Martin. love with <laughs> Sorry folks. That's all we got. That's all we got. That's all we got. Well, what's funny is the last song on the album was the last song recorded. So. Is that unusual? It's very unusual because mostly when you when you put the songs in sequence, you put them you sequence them by by how how they fit together by key or by okay. or by ex- exciting you want an exciting song to open it mm-hmm. and then you want a kind of a, another exciting song and then you kind of put your slush in the middle of that and then you finish with a bang you know interesting okay so this song it opens with a bang anytime at all quick song jumpy got a lot of bounce to it another Lennon song again of course similar and idea to the all I've got to do song where uh, back then it was like uh, all I got to do is call you on the phone and mm-hmm. you'll come running home and this one anytime at all all I got to do is call and uh, I'll be I there think, uh, these guys like calling people on the phone like, and having immediate returns on that investment it was almost as if they were writing a lot of songs really quickly and not remembering <laughs> that they already wrote yeah, that, they song. that song and what's interesting with this song is when Lennon brought it in he had the course and the verse finished but none, none of the rest he didn't have a middle eight to the song so they it was they you know they said well let's just do this we'll do what we we have so they recorded like the chorus and verses in the morning and they said we'll come back to it later and we'll figure something out so then they went on to to two other this was because this was done on the final day of recording they did three songs in their last day of recording this song was one of them we'll come to the other ones later and so then at the end of the day they came back to it and they'd figured out the, the sort of instrumental part to the song so it had Paul on piano and then it had that kind of dun 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 dun, dun you know that instrumental break in it. It's about a ten-bar break. But okay, yep. okay. So th- they figured that out during the day, and then so they k- brought it back, and they just kind of finished, edited it back into the song, and finished the song. And there you go. Wow, they were done. All these songs are now are still being written during filming, or are these now after filming? And we got to get the album. Yeah, out? the album, the 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 movie was done. Okay, they had a month holiday, and they came back and to finish the album. Okay, yeah. cool. All right. So what, what's a long pause for, guys? Come on. Carry on here. What's that? Why, why are we stopping? I, uh, I'm not I, done yet. I just got a lid. You think you have a holiday <laughs> yeah. like the Beatles did? Yeah, like I said to the uh, <laughs> like I said to the Saint Bernard. What's with the long pause? I don't. Do they have long? Look, dude. Pause? I'm trying to fill some time till you get to right. say everybody loves uh, dog I'll cry humor. instead. Okay, that's what I got. My, again, my filing system is screwed. I had all what, the singles loaded what, up, so um, I'm just going through all my papers right now. Oh, well, I gave them to you in order. But anyway, um, when uh, yesterday. <laughs> Oh, that's I'm not a saying great the Beatles song. song yesterday. <laughs> yeah, that's good. I did. I was a little late with my thing. But and anyway. I, and then I went help. 
One of, okay. Can I just say one other thing about Anytime at All? Which is, uh, of course you can. It's George, your show. Yeah. George Harrison's guitar fills. Uh-huh. Uh, there's a lot of like little, little guitar fills and stuff like that, which he kind of started around this time and carried on through Help and, and Into Our Soul and then stopped. I don't know why, but there's a lot of little ants, little <laughs> answering guitar fills. I, I enjoy those though. Oh, okay. But then I'm a George Harrison fan. Yes, you are. And like some people like I mentioned. <laughs> What a weird accusation for no reason. Oh, he's been trying to shoehorn this into several shows already. <laughs> Jason Son of George Harrison. Oh, I see. Okay. I thought today on Fight Starters. Why? Listen, Dave, I, uh, David, I, I just got through a Christmas dinner. I don't need people trying to start fights for no reason. I've been through it, buddy. Is that right? That's okay. But anyway, okay. you uh, you have it out with your family member here. Don't like George Harrison, eh? How dare you, sir? All of us are offended. <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I'm defend the, defend yourself after my accusation. Hates quiet people. Am I, I wrong? To, am I wrong or am I right? No, I, uh, here's here's how this is how, how, oh. the, whole, this is how the whole thing shakes out. Okay, right? okay. You're, you're, you're it's the early seventies. Mm-hmm. You're a kid. Yeah. You're listening to the Beatles. Sure. Mm-hmm. Who do you like first? John Lennon. No, you like Pete Ringo Best. Starr. Pete Best. <laughs> Pete Best. You're, you're, well, you're okay. You like Ringo Starr. Okay. Yeah, because yeah, he's, right. he's he's got the big head and mm-hmm. he's like a child. He's got all those sort of qualities. He makes a good bobblehead he doll. Makes a good bobblehead doll. Okay. He's got he yellow safe. submarine. Yeah. Right. He's got the octopus's garden. Sure. They all kind of tie together because mm-hmm. they're all the, the under under the water theme. Yeah. Right. But then you realize after a while that Ringo's just the drummer. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, guys, but you know what I'm saying. I wonder yeah. when Ringo realized not, that. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Not that he's not integral to the group because his personality is key to the group. Yeah. Right. Sure. So then you take a step back and then you learn about as well Paul as McCartney. his drumming. And you learn about, pardon? As well as his drumming. That's right. Of course, it was yeah. very instrumental. Yeah. Then you learn about Paul McCartney and John Lennon. Yeah. And you start to like what they're, where they're doing there. And then finally you come around to George Harrison. Okay. And almost anybody you talk to, mm. if you play them a George Harrison song, they'll go, oh, what's this song? They make a big stinky face <laughs> because George wasn't as good a songwriter. And so I don't want to, I'm not saying that I don't like George, but I'm saying George was my least favorite Beatle for a lot of the, 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 there's so many songs that you could count off from George to say, oh, why do they put that on there? Why is that there? And I think I don't people, know. I would, I would I th- kind of disagree with you, but okay. I think people that like George Harrison the most also think that their favorite character on Three's Company is Larry Dallas. <laughs> <laughs> What an accusation. Well, I'm a huge George fan. I yeah, that's why it. I always call the show Forrest Company. Because <laughs> he deserves to be part of that, he sir. Of that. He stuck around when Chrissy left. <laughs> that's right. He did. Um, I'm, I'm a giant George fan. And I, and maybe, I, cause I, to, I guess I've kind of gone through those phases and I've come to the point now where to me, I just like the Beatles. I only like, I just, I just like them as a unit, Mm -hmm. as a sort of perfect thing together. Yes. And he is the Kramer of the Beatles. He is the George Harrison of the Beatles. (laughs) No, he's not the George Harrison of the Beatles. Some, you know, not, (laughs) you know, he was a masterfully good guitar player and he wasn't, he wasn't a flashy guitar player. No. But he could really play a, you know, he could really play. And he was the best musician at the beginning, I would say, of the Beatles. Guitars. Uh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, only because he kind of gave up playing while he tried to learn this guitar that he, you know, kind of lost, <laughs> lost some, lost some steps. Yeah. And kind of had to relearn it a little bit after the, the psychedelic era ended. But I mean, when you think of how many different kind of playing techniques and stuff he brought into popular use as, as a Beatle, you know, he did, you know, the kind of that sort of modified rockabilly guitar sound of the early days. Mm-hmm. The twelve-string sound that we have now on Hard Day's Night, uh, the arpeggiated sound that he played on Abbey Road, the slide guitar sound that he that he used during Let It Be sessions, and you know those were all kinds of different things that were very, very influential. Right. You know. Oh no, he's key. Yeah, there are four so, great guys. He's okay. my least favorite of the all four. Right. Okay, whatever. <laughs> 
You know what I mean? He's also the funniest. Oh, he is the funniest. If you watch the movies. Oh, he's definitely the funniest. He's definitely the funniest. Like the right. most, in terms of like on the set being funny, the most hilarious. It's always, yeah, it's always uh, weird when I see him in the movies and he talks and I go, what? Why is he talking? <laughs> but I agree with you. No, it's your least favorite. It's like, to me, Reed Richards and the Fantastic Four. I got nothing against the guy. He's just my least favorite member of the group. Right. He's but integral. I, he's integral. Yeah. But uh, there we go. Yeah. All right. All let's right. talk about I'll Cry Instead. Okay. Which, which was intended to be the breakout. More crying, by the way. Was intended We're back to, to crying. It's, nice. a, it's weird because this song was supposed to be the breakout sec- segment in the film. This was the segment where the Camp Me Love was used instead, where everyone's hopping around and doing kinds of silly things. It was supposed to be using I'll Cry Instead. But, oh, that's an odd choice. But yeah, when Lester said, you know what? This song is kind of sour. <laughs> it's kind of cryy. What Let's... would they just be doing? Rolling on the grass? Like a yeah, uh, little down? Maybe just had close up of them with tears rolling down their cheeks. <laughs> and then the tears like jump yeah, off and have an adventure right, have some or fun. some such? So yeah. In my movie, I'll cry instead. And it was very short, I believe. Yeah, it's very short. Rent. And that's why it was very short. Right. Because they wanted, it wanted the... for that little sec- section. So he has this kind of weird country and western pastiche and... And Who wrote it? John Lennon. This is a Lennon. Yeah, this is a Lennon I could song. see this being a country probably, western song, frankly. Probably another uh, thorn aside that this song was thrown off so that Can't Buy Me Love, that damn Can't Buy Me Love was used instead. <laughs> it's a quiet, under the radar, sneaks in and just gets you. And it's, it's, weirdly, a stealth song. it's weirdly uncharacteristic of McCartney. It, you'd, think it, you'd think it would be a, a Lennon song sung by McCartney. Mm-hmm. It's mm. very, very, you know, that kind of what people think of as horizontal with Lennon, where it doesn't go up and down the the octave very much mm-hmm. it's very flat yep. and one note ominous sounding yeah yes yeah. it is ominous sounding yeah yeah and it's but when what really drives it though is lennon's acoustic guitar playing in it that and and star's snare drum like that just makes a song for me and also um mccartney's um i guess he double he double double tracked his vocals so he recorded it once and then he did a kind of almost harmony slash unison uh, voc- uh second vocal which i really like as well right and I think I'm reading about this song. This is one of those songs. It's a it's a backbeaty song, isn't it? Isn't that funny? The 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 melody's on the backbeat on this song, isn't it? Is that what this one is? The melody is on the back because yes. it's didn't, yeah yeah probably yeah yeah I think you're right. Thank yeah. you. Because I the, read nice that to in have, a book. Nice to have a musician star. on the show. Star is <laughs> yeah. Semi knows what he's talking yeah, semi, about. Semi. <laughs> I don't know. Normally it's but, us babbling boobs. But and what's interesting? About, another interesting thing about the song was that it was rec- it was recorded basically on the first take. There was a false start. Mm. And then the rest of the song, the backing track was recorded on the first take. Wow. Yeah. So See, that's when, when it's magic, it happens. Yeah. Meant to be. Meant to be. And the other curious thing. No overdubs on this the, show. The piano was, yeah, <laughs> the piano was added by Lennon. Oh. And so I think it's kind of interesting that, uh, George Martin is sort of losing his role as the piano playing guy in, in the group as they, as they go along. Cause in, um, the, um, Anytime at all, that's the panel part, and that is played by Paul McCartney. Gonna hold her tight. Yeah. That's right. We are doing that Holman, and we are doing that Titan. You liked it earlier. Yeah, it's not often they borrow from themselves in the same album, but this time, good for them. And I wonder if there was pressure on that as well, because maybe maybe somebody said, why don't you do some more covers on this? And they said, no, we're not doing any covers. We can get get six more. No, they didn't, because they were so impressed uh, by um, Bob Dylan's album, Free Will and Bob Dylan, that he wrote all the songs on it, or apparently wrote all the songs. They didn't know that he borrowed a lot of tunes from older folk folk music Ah, and said they were his songs, but... uh, He was stoned. (laughs) He was stoned. (laughs) He thought they were saying, I get high. Oh, so they they were desperately going to be, this is all our stuff on this. I think they really wanted to try that, yeah. And I think that was a real point of pride for them because when they were doing this they were recording other songs which I almost feel like they were recording them as tasters they did a series of interspersed while they were recording uh, these songs they did uh, a bunch of kind of rockabilly or or R&B songs oh. at the same time but they weren't put on they weren't released on Hard Day's Night they were put on an EP which we're going to talk about in a bit so um, I think 
So stay tuned. That's oh, right. I was confused, actually. This was the final song recorded that day. When I got home was the final song oh, recorded. Oh, okay. Sorry. Sorry. So then we end up with You Can't Do That, which was the B-side, which was originally released as the B-side to Can't Buy Me Love. So if you bought the Can't Buy Me Love single, you saw this, you found the song on the B-side. And you were equally disappointed when you found it on the record. You're like, well, I already have the song. Right, because they were known for not doing that. Yeah, they were. But, uh, they were. But like we were saying, yeah, right? time restraints and or time constraints, because they were, had this soundtrack, making a movie, recording a soundtrack, and touring. Yes. Really. And then you got the insatiable American public that's just saying, well, what's next? <laughs> yeah, what's next? More. Can you more, give more. us a break? No. <laughs> it's no break. We want a buffet. That's and right. all you can eat buffet of My Beatles. ear is open. Fill it. <laughs> yeah. That's disturbing. I don't like that at all. <laughs> What's interesting about this song, though, is that in ways it's similar. It's a similar kind of sound to "Can't Buy Me Love." It's not as fast. It's not quite as fast, but it was written as a blues, and then it has this contrasting middle eight. So it's it's interesting. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I, I just like face. like uh, I think uh, one of the previous songs was uh, "Chains." Again, that was a cover. Yeah. Uh, but that whole thing was uh, was all about uh, just give me some freedom, baby. I just need to see other people, and mm-hmm. that'll help me mm-hmm. love. It's nice uh, finally the girls cheating on him a little bit. Yeah, you know, yeah. it's like you don't often get. The girl doing that. It's usually the the Beatles asking for a little bit of uh, wiggle room in this situation. <laughs> Either that or just saying it's only you, baby, right before. Oh, what's with all the pressure? <laughs> Come on. But this is no, that's a good one. It's like oh, someone's cheating on the Beatles. That's going to make the girl listening to this. Yeah. Um, go. Oh, now I know I'm the one for him. That's right. Because he's clearly with this jerk. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and it has a line. has a fun solo, probably played by both Harrison and Lennon at the same time, unless it was overdubbed, which I don't think. I don't think it was. And so the album ends with another great Lennon song, I'll Be Back. Mm-hmm. Just, you know, give you a little sign off. Right. And, and eventually they would get back. But that's a completely different <laughs> in the future. Which I was reading and it was, um, it was inspired, uh, or had ins- part of inspiration was Del Shannon's song Runaway. Oh, okay. Which is not obvious when you hear it, but apparently in the guitar part, it's obviously, you kind of borrowed it from that. And what's also interesting, it has no chorus. And so it's got, uh, a 12 bar verse. And so two equal seconds of a 12 bar verse and then a six and a half bar bridge and then a nine and a half bar middle eight. So it's kind of a weirdly constructed song in that, but it's still a great song. Also, if, uh, you know, you have your fans and they're getting to the, uh, last song on their album, they're all sad and like, Oh, the Beatles, this is last song. It's like, uh, I'll be back. I'll be back. I'll be back. Don't you worry. We're coming back. We'll have uh, more for you. Everything's going to be fine. I'm coming back. It's fine. (laughs) As that that warms your heart as the fan sitting by your record machine. Right. So play it again. Play it again till the needle just melts. Yep. So as, as I mentioned, during the recording of this final section of, of uh, Hard Day's Night, they were also recording, uh, rock, you know, some rockabilly and some R&B songs. That they planned to release. They planned to release. And I guess they were kind of intended for, um, like, I, they recorded Long Tile Sally, and the reason they recorded that is because they planned to use it as a performance finale during A Hard Day's Night, because mm. that was often a finale during the show, kind of like Money or Twist and Shout. Long Tile Sally was also like a great show closer, and it existed for a long time in the Beatles' repertoire, from like 57 to 66. They performed it at Candlestick Park, their last oh, okay. performance has Long Tile Sally, so they, that was a long-standing wow, song for them. crazy. It was kind of McCartney's big showpiece, and so, so, so when they recorded these songs... They couldn't, they decided not to use them in the, when they were decided not to use for the soundtrack, they decided they would release them as an EP. So they had released other EPs. This was their fifth EP. They'd released other ones before. And what EPs were they were called extended? Was their fifth EP coming? Yeah. Wow. But because okay. what EPs were at that time were, were they were like 
shorter collections from the album. So you had your singles, mm-hmm. you had your albums, and then you had EPs, which would draw songs. So popular songs that weren't released as singles, say All My Loving, mm-hmm. would be released as an extended play. And they were cheaper than albums, much cheaper than albums. You got a picture sleeve, you got four songs from the record, and you didn't have to pay the whole album price to get your favorite song from the record, say, let's get All My Loving, let's say. Right. And then four other songs. And, you know, so it was a good deal. But because they had these songs and they didn't know where to put them, they just released them plus one uh, Beatles song that they didn't want to use on the Hard Day's Night soundtrack because it had a cowbell in it and they thought it sounded too similar to Can't Buy Me Love. <laughs> so they decided not to, not to do that. And so they did Long Tall Sally, I Call Your Name, which was the Beatles one, and then Slow Down, uh, Larry Williams song, and then Matchbox, which was a Carl Perkins song. Right. The reason they did the Matchbox was because Carl Perkins was visiting England and on a tour, a promotional tour, and so he came to visit the Beatles. And George Harrison was a huge fan of Carl Perkins. Right. In Mr. fact, Perkins, yeah. when they were the Silver Beatles, he changed his name to Carl for a while. He was Carl Harrison. And it was so hard to say by David that he decided to change it back to George. <laughs> and hence my least favorite Beatles. <laughs> <And> hence my <laughs> <laughs> I like like uh, listening to Long Tall Sally. It feels like the kind of song, like this kind of song, first of all, it's nice to get, this was a Little Richard song, was it? Mm-hmm. Or, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's nice giving him a little uh, money because uh, they took the woo from him, the woo. So good for him. Yeah. Throw him a couple of bucks. Sure. You know, that, uh, who's the, uh, the Pat Boone money probably isn't, uh, just, uh, pouring in. So, uh, but <laughs> not it, after the Beatles exploded. Pat no, Boone kind no, of no, fell to the wayside. The thing. But here's the kind of thing with these kind of songs. These kind of songs always feel like, uh, the cops could come in at any second. We got to yeah. finish this song fast. Yeah. Like, like, there's no relaxing, kicking back and let's have it. It's it, like, just, let's get it's it. It's a little down. faster even than the Little Richard version. Little yeah, Richard version is a bit like more they're swinging they're playing than this it one. while running down the street. <laughs> yeah. Like yeah. Raid. How, yeah. It feels yeah. like something's, yeah. Yeah. And, well, but, uh, the, you know, the opening line is Long Tail Sully is built for speed. She's got everything that Uncle Tom needs. Oh, baby. Yeah. Oh, whoa, 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 This baby. song ain't about <laughs> holding no hands. Yeah. This song's just full on. Creepy. Yeah. 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 So, okay, there's two stories to this song. One is that it's full of, of at that time, gay slang, or that it was based on people that Richard Penniman, Little Richard, actually knew. Why so, can't it be both? Well, because one would be the truth, and one would be an excuse made up to hide the truth. You don't think that uh, Richard knew a lot of gay uh, people at the head. time? No, no, he was gay. So yeah. he knew lots of gay people. So what's the thing? Well, he says it's about people that he knew in his childhood. Who could be gay people? No. Well, did no. he say that they... I mean, if he's saying just, it's about... No, no, he didn't like, say that. He was he was saying it wasn't about gay people. Okay. He's saying this was about people that I grew up in that I knew. He's not saying I grew up in new gay people. I like how you just jump on top of that. <laughs> I do, because like, you know, you're saying this about people that well, I knew. But why you would someone do that? assumption it's no, about straight it's, people. It's not about, gay, one, it's not about gay slang. I'm going to tell you it's a more innocent thing than that. It's about people that I knew when I was younger. Here's the thing. Who were gay. <laughs> no. <laughs> let, let me tell you a little story right now, David. Okay. Uh, there's, I forget the name of the woman, but she was, uh, she played, uh, Miss Hathaway on the Beverly Hillbillies. Okay. And, uh, she needed to come out of the closet basically in the mid seventies. Okay. And this was how Why she, did she need to? Because, because she didn't want to be living a lie. Okay. She didn't want to say it in a way that would be, you know, you couldn't just say that. She, so she said, she said, I want you to ask me a question. Okay. And this is the question I want you to ask me and I'm going to answer it in my own way. And uh, the, well, the question that was asked was, uh, ask me, do you think opposites attract? And so they do you think opposites attract? You know, I think birds of a feather flock together. Okay. So there's ways sometimes you say something uh-huh. that's saying the truth, yeah. but in a wrapped in a way that sounds innocent. And if you get it, you get it. And if you don't get it, you okay. get it. It could be. So I can, yeah. It could be. Also, you're the most suspicious person on earth. <laughs> What's suspicious? <laughs> 
What's the gay? What 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 is there actually gay slang in it? I, I don't know. Does I don't really. I don't know the, if anyone's parsed it out to figure out what southern. I'm going to tell Aunt Mary about Uncle John. He said it's got misery, a lot of fun. Now, baby, woo some fun tonight. I saw Uncle John with long, tall Sally. Is that slang slang for something? A long, tall... I thought it said bald-headed Sally in the song. Is it Long Tall Sally? Yeah, the song is called Long Tall Sally. I know Sally. it is, but I always thought it said Bald Headed Sally. <laughs> that'd be a weird, I'm getting mixed up, that'd be a weird a... thing to change the, the, that in the song that's not, so there's it's a not weird, the title. There's a weird uh, Holy Motor Rounders song uh, called Hot Corn, Cold Corn, yeah. which they've incorporated this old folk song called Hot Corn, Cold Corn, Bring Along a Demijohn with uh, Long Tall Sally. And so I think I'm getting the... Well, you're accusing me and of also, reading uh, little things demon. in while you're just rewriting lyrics completely. I'm not rewriting them. I'm just saying someone else has been re- working Are you saying that a demijohn is a gay term? No, for- I'm not saying that. Could be. Could be. I don't <laughs> Could know. Could be. I don't know. Or a drug someone who's interested in prostitution but does not really want to go all the way. Just a demijohn. Just a demijohn. Fair enough. All right. Moving on. So the next one was I Call Your Name. I guess that's the next song on the EP. Yeah. The EP, which was actually one of Lennon's earliest songs that he ever wrote. And so what happened was he he uh, he updated it with a new middle eight, gave it to Billy J. Kramer and the Dakotas to record. They recorded it as a B-side. And he was a little unhappy with their version. And so he decided, oh, I'm going to do it myself. So so they recorded it. So what's kind of funny is you've got, um, it's kind of a weird song because you've got this really old kind of old land song mm-hmm. with an updated middle eight. And then when they're recording it, they decided to do the guitar solo as kind of a ska thing. <laughs> so you've got these three styles kind of working together in the song. So it's kind of an odd song in that way. But it's fun. It's a good song. Yeah. But it's a very loose performance. There's a lot of fluffs. If you listen to it, you can hear some mistakes uh, throughout the song. Oh, cool. Okay. Yeah. In your top 40 uh, list of Beatles songs, this probably is not going to be in there as well. <laughs> yeah. It's one of those, once again, nothing wrong ones. with it, but it's just not. So it's then, there. Let me come to Slow Down. Sung by uh, John Lennon, who's a big Larry Williams fan. For some reason, he just love love Larry Williams. They they live. They played about six Larry Williams songs over the years. Recorded all of them. Recorded three of them. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, Lennon did all of them. Wow. And now okay. uh, every episode, uh, I always have a thing where I go, "Here's a song that's creepier." today than it was then okay and david goes oh you're so sensitive in fact <laughs> yeah. he's very sensitive about my sensitivity yeah I'm ironic if you're i have a sensitivity sensitivity yeah, sensitivity sensitivity uh and it's just yeah this creepy guy uh telling girl to slow down and come on come on baby come on baby come on baby and a lot of that it, uh, yeah right right i mean it's fine for what it is but uh you know it's a it, it's a creepy song <laughs> if you look at it for a couple of seconds yeah it's creepy it is and is Larry what, you agreeing with I me? I agree with you, yeah. yeah. Oh, wow, you're on, uh, you're on board. I think it's supposed to be like that. I think it's supposed to be like that. I think R&B was, a, R&B was a lot of, a lot rougher music. It wasn't quite as, as sedate and approachable as pop music was, you know. That one-eyed cat going into a seafood store wasn't really a one-eyed cat going into a seafood store, Ooh. if you know what I mean. You're not going to tell me anything about Jelly Roll Morton that I don't want to hear, are you, Dave? Why? Never mind. It's okay. <laughs> You're not going to muddy the waters with your Jelly Roll Morton, are you? Everything's fine. We're moving on, everybody. So now we get to Matchbox, which we kind of mentioned before. It was a Carl Perkins song. Right. Carl Perkins, one of the most unfortunate musicians of all time. I mean, yes, it's real he sad had, sack. He had this song that was rising up the charts, Blue Suede Shoes. Everyone was loving it. Everyone thought it was great. Gets in a car accident. Can no longer promote it. Then all of his Presley records it. Takes it to the toppity top. <laughs> And poor old Carl Perkins gets lay in a hospital and become an alcoholic. Now, wait a second. Now, Carl Perkins in that case, is Carl Perkins not making a lot of money off of that song? That would depend if you think that those guys signed good contracts that actually paid them any money. Oh, boy. <laughs> uh, the Bob Denver <laughs> syndrome. <laughs> right. Bob Denver wrote a couple of Elvis's hits, didn't he? he did. Hound Dog. 
Bob Jailhouse Denver? Rock no. from Gilligan's Island. Yeah. Oh, on Gilligan's Island, he actually. No, 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 oh, we okay. did. Oh, we're okay. just mentioning. No, we're having a we're having a bit of fun. Okay. Now there's a. The so this was actually the drummer number. Okay. It was a drummer was number drummer sang drummer. by Pete Best during the day. Oh. Then okay. when Best was evicted, right? Uh, sung by Lennon. And then, but for this, they thought, well, we should get Ringo to, a song to sing. So, well, this would be the Dermer number. So poor Carl Perkins had to hear his song being sung by, by Ringo. <laughs> and, but. And wear blue suede George, shoes. George was, was so, terrible. George was so happy. <laughs> George was so happy like, that, uh, that Perkins was there. He just plays like a, like a MF for this song. He's just like so happy. Right. Now the rumor is that it's actually Carl Perkins, right? Uh, not true. Not true. Yeah. It was, that was a rumor, but according to, Mark Lewison, who's listened to every moment of tape in the Beatles collection he library for his, for his, yeah, he says that. Because you can hear Carl in the background going, That's where I could play. <laughs> I'll be back drinking if you guys are. <laughs> now, there's the lyric in here that uh, kind of hit me is, oh, yeah, that. Uh, well, if you don't want my peaches, honey, please don't shake my tree. Yeah, that's nice. Which most famously, of course, Steve Miller's The Joker. You know, yeah. I really love your peaches. Want to shake your tree? Yeah. And I uh, looked this up because I went like, "It's a blues, blues, probably an old blues trope." It's. I'm going to go farther than that, David. Do you yeah. want to know where this comes sure, from? Sure. That's Irving right. Berlin song. Really? Yeah. Irving Berlin. That's peaches. not farther than yeah. blues, but okay. You don't think Irving Berlin is farther than the blues? How far? Who's who's? Irving Berlin who's, was writing in the 30s and 40s. So. Right, and so blues were like 20s. Blues are tw- tens and 20s. Okay. Yeah. Well, the earliest known version. But of I think this, he, uh, lyric. I think he borrowed it from from blues. Okay. There's blues a song called Peaches. And, yeah. And yeah, the lyric in there is, "If you don't want my peaches, you better stop shaking my tree." Mm-hmm. That's the but but the uh, the lyric does appear in a lot of songs. They liked they liked their sexual fruit metaphors sure. in the blues. You know, squeeze my lemon till the juice runs down my leg. Right. It's just like odd that, that uh, peaches seems to be the one there. You know, mm-hmm. it's no the how, how do you like them apples? There's other type of trees sure. out there, folks. Sure. But uh, pe- peaches seems to well, be. Well, there's a the tree, tree thing, and everybody's trying to be my baby, isn't there as well? Which is a Perkins song, which we'll talk about on the next show. On the next show. Uh, Awful way to harvest peaches, by the way, is to shake a tree because they're very fragile fruit. (laughs) And everyone goes, we know what you're doing. (laughs) We get what this is a metaphor for. Stop it. Or put a ring on that tree. (laughs) (laughs) Time to marry that tree. Well, on that note, everybody, let's uh, draw this extra long episode to a close because we've had a lot of songs to cover today. Well, this is our EP episode. This was our our extended play play episode. And uh, so... We're glad we're glad that you're listening to Completely Beatles. I think we forgot to mention that at the beginning of the show. What's that? That we're, they're listening to Completely Beatles. I think they've clicked on something that says Completely Beatles. I don't think that's a problem at this point. I like to. We are not a show. random television station. No one's flicking through the podcast, and uh, everybody and came in to halfway through. <laughs> listening to Completely Beatles, everybody. Completely. Beatles. Uh, if you like this show, uh, Dave and I also do another show uh, called Sneaky Dragon. This yeah. is actually a spinoff of that. Uh, if you want to hear this sort of thing, but with uh, less uh, control. Uh, there you go. And you might even hear our guest today, Jason Dedrick, on a couple of those episodes. Mm-hmm. Some would consider those the better episodes. The person who would consider that is Jason Dedrick. Uh, thanks again for uh, joining us. Thank you uh, for having me. It was hope, fantastic. I hope to have you back again uh, sometime. I would love to come back. And, you know, I'm sorry about the whole George Harrison thing. He's really an awesome guy. That's uh, No, no. We've all said, we've all said some Speaking terrible things. Speaking of the dead. We regret. And um, if there's anything that we missed, and of course we have, uh, we would love to hear that. You can either go to our Sneaky Dragon uh, website, sneakydragon.com, or our Facebook page for Completely Beatles, and uh, and let us know. What did we miss? And uh, maybe we'll cover uh, those topics either on the page or on a future show. Sure. And, we and love, so next, we'd love to hear your comments and ideas. And our well. next episode is going to be... Our next episode, we'll be talking about I Feel Fine with its B-side, She's a Woman, and the album uh, Beatles for Sale. Ah, 
Yes. Which we referred to earlier on. Yes, we did refer to it later, oh, earlier Oh, we on. laid that pipe so well. Yes. Good for us. Boy, I hate that. That always makes me think of other things. All right, everybody. <laughs> Dave hates Super Mario Brothers. Thanks for listening to Completely Beatles. We'll see you in two weeks. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Bong. <laughs> <laughs>